Hi there, it's Ranjay. Are you looking for a new podcast that provides practical business education all while providing real-world examples? Then you should check out the chart-topping podcast The Parlor Room produced by my friends at Harvard Business School Online. Each episode, host and HBS Online creative director Crystal Nane sits down with HBS professors to demystify vital business concepts in a way that's both entertaining and insightful. Learn from the best and brightest about things like how to become a master negotiator or Apple's powerful financial model. Listen to the Parlor Room every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts and tell them I sent you. There is a really big company based in India called the Mahindra Group. It makes cars and tractors. It makes solar power systems. It makes parts for the defense and aerospace industries. It runs more than 100 resorts from frosty Finland to the sun-baked beaches of South India. It does IT consulting. It sells life insurance. Mahindra's annual revenues reach $20 billion. It seems like Mahindra does a little bit of everything. Mahindra Group's purpose, rise. Across this wide expanse of sectors, Mahindra maintains a core purpose it calls rise. It's a company-wide initiative adopted in 2011 to knit the diverse divisions together. At its core, Rise is about making the company more successful in delivering value to its shareholders and other stakeholders. Rise is the backbone of how Mahindra operates internally and how it guides the many philanthropic programs and commercial programs that it supports. Here's the Mahindra Group's non-executive chairman, Anand Mahindra, describing Rise in one of the company's videos. Let me explain. Because when we grew from a small two-man partnership to a multi-billion dollar group, what were we doing? We were rising through opportunity. When we adapted the tractor engine and put it on a Jeep to beat the oil crunch in the 70s, what were we doing? We were rising to challenge. When we built the Scorpio at a cost nobody could believe, what were we doing? We were rising through self-belief. And when Nanhi Kali sends a girl to school or when we groom an underprivileged child for a job at the Mahindra Pride School, what are we doing? We're rising. We're rising through inclusivity. When we plant a million trees, what are we doing? We're rising through sustainability. So to rise has always been a part of our DNA. That's the whole point. The only difference is that today, we're realizing the power of it. Hi everyone, I'm Ranjay Gulati, a professor of business administration at the Harvard Business School. And this is Deep Purpose, a podcast about courage and commitment in turbulent times. I sat down with Anand Mahindra for an online conversation about the RISE philosophy and how he established it in such a large and diverse company. Anand was quick to point out how brief the core mantra of RISE actually is. Think differently. So alternative thinking, accept no limits, alternative thinking and drive positive change. Everybody remembers that. So three things. Now, Today, they're looking at RISE 2.0 and they're trying to find how do we give it fresh momentum. So there may be a re-articulation of the two or three things they want people to remember. But I know for a fact that since 2007, the thing that has affected most people, including me, is when I'm in doubt, I say, wait a minute, I'm here to help people rise. 
I'm here to challenge myself and accept no limits. I'm here to think differently. And I'm going to ultimately ensure that what I do drives positive change. Anybody in Mahendra will remember these three. So brevity is key. It's nothing new for a business to be involved in the communities it serves. But Anand argues that having a coherent and articulated purpose like RISE is essential in the modern economy. And if I have to look back and reflect on how this change has occurred or how this state came to be, I, I think when I look back, I believe 2007, 2008, that was a seminal point when the Occupy Wall Street movement took place and when it became very apparent to every corporation in the world that consumers really did not trust large companies. There was an enormous trust deficit as that, and that phrase became very popular. That trend has continued at a very rapid rate where there is enormous expectations from companies to be integrated with communities, to be, to be aware, to be conscious, to be not saying to themselves that the only preoccupation I have is of maximizing shareholder return. And I dare say that COVID has made, put that whole argument to rest. In a post-COVID world, it's become extremely clear that all consumers are looking to corporations for being much more active and conscientious members of the community. I don't think there's any going back from that right now, Ranjay. Everybody is going to have to do this. Now, you can ask yourself, so what should they be doing? Should they be commenting on every situation? Not everyone is a media organization. You're not a paper or a media company that has to take an editorial stance. And I would say the world is a very complicated place today. There are many, many opinions. It's a multipolar world. There are enormous views, different views from different countries and different ethnicities. But when it comes to issues where there is a very clear black and white uh, distinction, where there is good and bad, which is obvious, or as we see today, the different stark difference between good and evil, I do believe companies have to come out and make clear what their position is. What do you have to say to people, critics of this argument, who say, no, a business leader's job is to focus on shareholder value and all this social reallocation is the job of elected government officials, that business should not intrude in trying to redistribute resources. How does one reconcile that? And how does one even sell that to shareholders and saying? You know, we're not going to have the kind of returns you expected, but because we're going to be doing these other things that really we believe are important for society. I have a perhaps a very simplistic view of it. When you define the trade-off in that manner, that we have to tell consumers that you're not going to get the returns that you expected, we have to ask ourselves over what time frame are you making that judgment? My argument would be very simple. I would tell shareholders that unless we show that we are clear in our outlook, in our conscience and in our sense of purpose, when it comes to very stark issues of good and bad, as I said, what is good and bad for the world or for your community right next to you, if we don't take a stand, consumers are going to vote with their wallets and move away from you. So your returns are arguably going to come down. So in a funny way, Ranjay, I think what we have to tell shareholders is that what we are doing in the long run is, in fact, the best uh, remedy for or the best solution for maximizing shareholder returns. It's a question over what time frame. You may take an immediate hit because of a certain decision, as some companies are doing today. 
But what you have to convince shareholders is that in the long run, you are going to get consumers voting in your favor with their wallets. Yeah. Now, Anand, just to build on that idea a little bit, you saw Spotify having a big kind of controversy in the U.S., but the point was it wasn't the customers who were rebelling. It was employees. It was employees saying unacceptable. No, absolutely right. And in a sense, that word stakeholder comes up because it's equally important to make sure that your associates in your company have a commitment to your company, give off their best, outperform, excel. Why, when will they do that? Why will they do that? And I think that topic, in fact, is going to be one of the central pivots of our conversation today. But the question is, you also will not maximize shareholder returns if the associates in your company, your colleagues are not aligned, if they are not aligned to your aspirations, if they are not coming into work every day because they believe in your purpose, then again, over time, you are not going to deliver a superior financial returns. The effects of the COVID pandemic on companies worldwide has been unprecedented. It has reshaped how employees view their jobs and how they do their work. And it's been an incredible challenge to business leaders. They've confronted everything from a global recession to supply chain calamities, to worker shortages, to rapidly changing consumer demands. I asked Anand Mahindra how COVID reshaped him as a leader and a human being. Uh... It's affected everyone deeply. I don't believe there's anyone in any country, very few countries have escaped COVID completely. So I don't think there's anyone who hasn't had a certain emotional casualty, I would call it, in their life. First, let me talk about my own company. I remember that when we, when it started out and I issued a call for our people to try and answer the needs of the day, which at that point in time were ventilators. And I remember in four days, I literally mean in four days, our engineers who were in the plant and the plant had stopped making vehicles, but they in four days just camped out at the factory and turned out a rudimentary prototype of a ventilator, which we were willing to offer to the medical institution. I, I knew what our people were capable of. It's not that I had any doubts, but I was stunned by how a common cause, the right cause, can make people do extraordinary things, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That was the first incredible lesson I learned. But the second thing and the far more emotional thing for me in India, how it that affected me was when, uh, particularly in the city of Mumbai, but in every metro in India, we saw after the lockdown was declared by Prime Minister Modi, we saw migrant workers leave cities. We saw them marching, sometimes barefoot, getting back to their villages. What it brought back to me was how remarkably interdependent we are. You can talk about it when you talk about global supply chains. But when you see people migrating and your entire quality of life evaporating in front of your eyes, you then realize that people who you took for granted, people at the, at the bottom of the pyramid, how important they were to you and how they created a quality of life for the entire society, that came home to me very hard. So those, Anjay, I would say are the two very big lessons I learned. Anand says that Mahindra takes seriously the need for employees to rise within themselves. 
Having endured the COVID pandemic, he says it's even more vital that each worker sees their personal life mission in harmony with the employers. What was this notorious phrase all the time? Work-life balance. Look at that phrase, how pernicious it is. Because hidden in that phrase is a presumption that the two are contrary. That's why you need a balance. If two are in different elements of the weighing scale, they need a balance. And it perpetuated that dichotomy. What I'm saying is that there is cannot be a dichotomy. That dichotomy is the source of angst, the source of tension and stress in your life. When the two are different, you're constantly trying to balance them. Think of how powerful one's life would be if your work was fully integrated with your purpose. If somehow it helped you answer that question. Otherwise, there was always my work does this and my private life allows me to become spiritual or to go on a destiny, on a journey, to hike around the world, to, to be of service to people. But what if you worked in a company where every day you went into work and you were of help to people? Your work transformed lives. Your work helped people rise. Let me give you an example. My first executive assistant some many years ago, a decade ago or so, was from HBS. And when he finished his four-year stint with my office as an executive assistant, he's still with our group and he's gone into helping create a new company called Mahendra Rural Housing Finance. Now, here's a, a Harvard Business School guy. He could have gone to a merchant bank. He could have gone to a private equity player. He could have tried some other startup. He stuck with us because every day when I talk to him, he feels fulfilled. He goes out into the boondocks. He helps people repair their homes. He gives them loans for building, you know, very modest houses. He sees the smiles on their faces when the roof goes on to the top and is over their heads. And he said, that's what makes me happy every day. And I've learned a lot from Shantanu because I said, if we can give everyone meaning at work like Shantanu is deriving, my God, we'll be unstoppable. How do you measure progress? How do you put KPIs around it? How do you make sure that we are actually tracking towards being a purpose-driven organization? In your mind, was it about behaviors? Was it about actions? What does that mean exactly when you say, are we living up? Are we living rise? The way in which we measure this will probably change with every new head of HR that we get. People have different perceptions of how to measure. And I personally have a little bit of skepticism about trying to quantify things in this respect here. If you are trying to quantify it and if you have to hold up data to validate where you are on the journey, I think you've lost the battle. To me, Ranjay, forget the data and the quantification. The first thing is, if somebody comes in and asks anyone in Mahindra, tell me a story about Mahindra. And if Rise doesn't figure in that, in the, in the majority of people, then I think we would have failed. You know, one thing on the right decision here, Anand, you mentioned, and I think this is a, a, a phrase that gets used a lot, which is actually confusing to some, I think, is the idea that, oh, life is about win-win. You don't have to make trade-offs. You know, there's the magical moment where you can achieve, do good and make money at the same time. And we all know that, yes, there are win-win possibilities, 
like microfinance, but not a lot of some things involve hard choices. You know, where not everybody is going to be happy. There are going to be moments where you have to say, hey, listen, I take it on the chin for the shareholders because this is good for the customer or or vice versa. You know, this is something that I can't do because it will really be detrimental to our shareholders. These choices are not easy. They're not black and white sometimes. You know, they're in that gray zone. How does one use RISE as a way to kind of navigate these hard choices? These choices become easier when you apply the right time frame to them. So first of all, let me just reiterate that, that trade-off, I'll try not to use your cliche win-win, but the trade-off, let me call it, is a ghost trade-off if you look at the right time frame. It's a fictional trade-off. If you really believe in purpose and really believe in this kind of purpose, then doing the right thing is always something that's going to help you do well and do good at the same time. There is no distinction. What will happen is a short-term trade-off. At the same time, yes, let me be real that, you know, you're not here to only maximize the driving of positive change. Then you are an NGO. You have to recognize the difference that I'm not an NGO. If I'm going to do it without doing well at the same time while I'm doing good, then you're not a corporation. Then you're a social enterprise and NGO. Very clear. But if you're a corporation, then you have to do well while you're doing good. Anand, how have you articulated for yourself your personal purpose in terms of your life purpose, your career purpose? How have you thought about it for yourself? People ask me, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? You know, in the company, when you work, I leave it to you. You can you can try and sort of sniff out what the links might be to a personal sense of purpose. But I have a, I've had a very consistent answer to that over the years when people ask me that what you want to leave behind? And I say, look, if people say that their time at Mahindra, while they were here, they were the best that they could be, that they'd really reached their full potential or exploited their potential. If they say that they were the best they could be during the years at Mahindra, I think I will have succeeded. And that's my constant preoccupation, because I think everything else follows from that. If you have a team of people doing the best that they can, you are going to succeed one way or the other. One of the aims of the Mahindra Group's rise is raising the status and life prospects of girls in India. Historically, India has been a deeply patriarchal society. And while the place of girls and women has improved dramatically in recent decades, discrimination against them remains deeply rooted. Mahindra supports several programs to combat this problem. It has helped pay for the education of nearly half a million economically disadvantaged girls. It supports National Girl Day. And there's the Proud Father for Daughters campaign, where professional photographers volunteer to make portraits of dads and daughters. Here's Mahindra's Sheetal Mehta in a company video. The main message we wanted to send through Proud Fathers for Daughters was that daughters are as important as your sons and that's the way they should be perceived. Anand Mahindra has been a driving force behind this and the other Mahindra initiatives. They are at the heart of his company's deep purpose. I wanted to ask you about another word. We've talked about purpose a lot, which is courage. What does the word courage mean to you? And 
can you tell us about some courageous leaders in history or otherwise that you have encountered that inspire you to think about this idea even hmm. well it's a very it's a very very difficult question to answer because it brings to mind so many of the more common notions of courage when we think of bravery for example somebody jumping into the ocean to save someone from drowning that's courage there are quieter forms of courage moral courage and they have to do coming back to our topic about purpose if you believe in something very strongly and you have a transcending sense of purpose individual or your company's purpose and ideally the same are related and symbiotic then frankly you don't ever lack courage if you have that purpose and you're always aligned to it they help you make choices every day which somebody else might see as courageous to you it was instinctive and reflexive so to me if i had to relate your question to the topic of today if you have true purpose then courage is a consort you don't have to work at being courageous or being brave and coming to your other question about leaders well it's interesting you know uh, we all say indians are mamas boys and i've constantly uh, talked about my mother being my inspiration but you know she was the most courageous person i knew and i got to encounter from a very early age she came from a very modest family background a uh, large family she was a tomboy she taught herself english she taught herself how to you know to ride a cycle she first became a teacher then she ran off and joined bollywood for a little while then left that became a golfer became a writer she just challenged herself constantly and it was courage in action so i learned that courage from her one of the things she told me was don't ever idolize any one person learn from everybody if you start making one model of a person that that's my role model you will be restricted and it will be to your detriment learn from everybody make a composite of leaders so every time somebody is asked me who's your role model who is the one leader that you aspire to become like i say no i said i was told very early to make a patchwork of everybody and that that would serve me best so i can't name any one person to you but I have to admit that philosophy allows me to learn from everyone. Anand this is very insightful. One uh, last one. Any parting words on what should leaders of the future be thinking about, you know? We are in a very, you know, unique time and space, a lot of technological changes, political changes, and you see a lot of young people starting ventures in India and elsewhere. What advice do you have for young people who are starting their careers? and thinking about themselves as a future leader one day uh i'm very very wary of dispensing advice because to be honest even at this stage in my life where i've just become a non executive chairman i i am now in a very intense phase of learning from others particularly from young people because they are rewriting every lesson that we learn they are rewriting the rules of the game they are rewriting how one succeeds one ought to succeed they are the ones educating us even about purpose and the great resignation comes from a number of young people so i'm not in a mode where i dispense advice the last thing i want to be is an atm giving advice to young people about what to do but one lesson i would tell them which i tell everybody and it's not just the young people that has served me well is that keep in mind that if you want to succeed no matter what you do you may get quick success and build a unicorn overnight you may not but whatever you do just retain your humility just remember that you're not the smartest person in the room and the reason why humility is good is not because i'm saying it out of any spirituality or any 
desire to be a mother teresa i think humility leads to curiosity and if you don't have curiosity about the world about other people you will not survive today there's just too much going on too much change too much volatility if you stay humble and stay curious you are eventually going to find a way of navigating through all of the turbulence around you anand mahindra is the non executive chairman of the indian conglomerate the mahindra group he spoke with me from mumbai You've been listening to Deep Purpose, a podcast about courage and commitment in turbulent times. You can go to my website for more of my conversations with leaders in the business world navigating the 21st century business environment. You can also find out about my book titled Deep Purpose. Companies that are serious about establishing and working towards a deep purpose find that it delivers game-changing results for the workers, the shareholders, and the larger society. So visit with me at deeppurpose.net. This podcast is produced by Stephen Smith with help from Lauren Modelski, Ellie Honan, Melissa Duncan, Craig McDonald, and John Bath. Theme music is by Gary Meister. I'm Ranjay Gulati. Thanks for listening.